Welcome to Justice Today, the official podcast of the United States Department of Justice's Office of Justice Programs, OJP, where we shine a light on cutting-edge research and practices and offer an in-depth look at what we're doing to meet the biggest public safety challenges of our time. Join us as we explore how funding, science, and technology help us achieve strong communities. I am your host, Karen Friedman. I am the Director of Criminal Justice, Innovation, Development, and Engagement at OJP's Bureau of Justice Assistance, BJA. September is National Recovery Month, an occasion where we can acknowledge the millions of Americans who have transformed their lives by recovering from addiction or substance abuse use disorder. Today's guest, the Honorable Robert T. Russell Jr., started a national movement that has helped countless military veterans cope with addiction and successfully navigate the criminal justice system. Judge Russell retired last year after serving more than 30 years on the bench in city court in Buffalo, New York. In 1995, he started that city's first drug treatment court, which we'll describe in detail shortly. And in 2008, he launched the first ever treatment court that was designed to meet the unique needs of military veterans. Judge Russell's idea was so successful that less than 15 years later, America has about 500 veterans treatment courts in over 40 states. He has won far too many honors to list here, all very well deserved. And veterans treatment courts continue to expand, making a profound difference in the lives of more and more veterans every year. Thank you for joining us today, Judge Russell. It is such a pleasure to have you. I don't get that the opportunity to interview icons very often. So the fact that I uh, get to interview one today is very exciting for me. It's wonderful to have you. Well, it is wonderful to be here and it's very kind of you and thank you very much. And Director Friedman, it's, it's awesome not only to speak with the director of this initiative, Uh, with the uh, Bureau of Justice Assistant, but in addition to also uh, speak with a former treatment court judge. Yes. Treatment, that's awesome. Yes, we have a lot in common, especially our passion and our love of treatment court. I know you and I, when we saw each other at the National Association of Drug Court Professionals, we couldn't help but uh, trade stories and and talk about how much treatment court has changed our lives and bettered our lives and just gave us a whole new perspective on on life and, and on really how individuals can transform their lives and what an honor it is to be part of that process. Very much so. Very much yeah. so. So um, you've spent nearly all your career as a drug and treatment court judge. For those that may not know, drug and treatment courts are very different from traditional courts. Rather than stressing punishment for bad acts, the goal is to prevent future bad acts by addressing substance abuse. Judges, prosecutors, and defense attorneys work together as a team, not as adversaries, but to as a team to help people recover and enter recovery. You started when drug courts were a very new idea and there were very few of them across the country. What is it that drew you to this work? Well, part of my background um, is I 
previously had worked in the prosecutor's office in Erie County. I also had worked in the state attorney general's office. So when I became a judge in 1992, in January of 92, and as I was sitting and presiding over cases, I would start to see after a while the same people returning back to the criminal justice system. And what you learned about these individuals is that many were uh, suffering from the dependency on substances. And then there was a program on uh, TV, Nightline. And Nightline had done a segment on the first uh, drug treatment court in the country in Miami, Florida, which was presided over by a Judge Goldstein. And they had the camera in the courtroom and they were showing a graduation those who had successfully completed a drug treatment court. And they had this one individual, he had tears in his eyes. He was so happy that he had successfully completed this journey. He was clean, sober, in recovery. His family was present. They were all celebrating this accomplishment. And I began to ask myself, why can't we have something like that in my community? in Erie County, New York, and in Buffalo. And that was the inspiration to, in uh, 1993, to then begin the journey of how can we get a drug treatment court in my community? And for two years, worked on that project. Yeah. The the drug court graduations, there's nothing like it. I would encourage anyone to go watch one because it is the most moving ceremony you're ever I, I challenge you not to cry at a drug treatment court graduation. <laughs> I challenge you <laughs> to see people who have struggled so long. Um, reach the other side and reunite with family members and become a father again to their children and a husband again to a wife or a son to a mother. Um, yeah. There's really nothing um, more moving than that. It's, it's really incredible. Now, um, you had been a drug court judge for about a decade when I understand you had an experience with one particular defendant who gave you the idea of starting a treatment court focused solely on veterans. You want to share with our listeners that story? Sure. I um, presided over drug treatment courts since 1995. And then in 2002, uh, we created a mental health treatment court. And that is working with men and women who are coming through our justice system that are suffering from severe mental health uh, disease or disorders. And on this particular occasion in late 2006, there was an individual. Well, in treatment court, we have prior to our court calendar being called, we have an event, as you're familiar with Judge Friedman, that we call a, um, a status review. And we have a staffing where the prosecutor, defense counsel, probation, treatment representative, the judge, we sit and discuss what cases are going to be on the calendar that day. Uh, The treatment representative who is from our uh, community treatment provider, mental health treatment provider, said, you're going to see an individual today who's been with us uh, about five months. He's a Vietnam veteran. He physically shows up to his counseling appointment, but he's not really engaged with his therapist. His therapist doesn't believe that they're making much headway. 
He's also in our group counseling session. He physically comes and sits there, but he doesn't really participate or engage in the group counseling session. And they said, we would like for you to address it with him when you see him today. Fine. Now we turn our attention to the court setting. I'm in court. The case is caught. This individual, he's about 6'3", 6'4", a big fella. Uh, and he stands in front of me. His head is downcast. He's not looking at me. His posture is slumped. And I said that, one, to this individual, I'm happy you're going to your counseling appointment. And, you know, that is fantastic. I understand you're keeping your appointments at counseling. You're keeping your appointments at group counseling also. But they don't believe that they're making much headway, uh, that you're really engaged in your counseling. Uh, what's going on? And this person just gave me a, a, a grunt, gruntle, a guttural type sound. He just went, uh, uh. And, well, in the courtroom, my project director at that time, Hank Porowski, uh, who's since passed, but Hank uh, was a Vietnam veteran, served in the Marines, and also President Guy by the name of Jack O'Connor, who worked with our county government, who was sitting observing that day. Jack, also a Vietnam veteran, served in the Army 82nd Airborne. I asked both of them to approach the bench, and I said, would you go out in the hallway and talk to this gentleman and find out what's going on? They exit the courtroom in the hallway. About 20 minutes later, they return back into the courtroom. Uh, the court clerk recalled the case. Now this individual is standing in front of me, no longer in a slump posture, but standing fully erect. And he's at parade rest, where his arm is resting behind the uh, in, the, in his back, his head is raised, looking direct at, directly at me, and now we have eye contact. I said, is there anything you would like to say? He said, um, Judge, I'm going to try harder. And that totally blew me away. Right. So I asked both Hank and Jack if they would remain after court. And let's talk about it. What in the world did y'all do to this guy in the hallway for this <laughs> get this reaction <laughs> and they indicated that we shared with him that we also are Vietnam veteran also disclosed what branch of service they served in and where they were located in country in Vietnam and they told the person that they cared about him and that the court the judge cares about him and they just want him to do better and see and we would like to work with him to see how we can help him to do better and would he work with us. And that made a difference in that reaction, just that short time. And so from that standpoint, it was maybe we should be doing something more for the men and women who served in the military to give them and afford them the best opportunity on regaining stability in their life. Well, I already, <laughs> I have tears in my eyes. It doesn't take very much for me. I'm already welling up. Um, so after you saw that remarkable interaction in your court, you brought together a number of government agencies and you lost, you launched the first Veterans Treatment Court in a little over a year. Now for a brand new idea, 
especially in any kind of government setting. That is an idea that's moving really, really fast. Um, you, you've said that one of the key drivers of this success was early and enthusiastic support from the Veterans Administration, the VA. Could you tell us what they contributed and why that partnership was important? Yes, uh, uh, very much so. And I am extremely grateful for the United States Department of Veteran Affairs and their support for Veterans Treatment Court, not only locally in Buffalo, Erie County, but also nationally. And <clears throat> when I had that meeting in my chambers with both Jack and Hank, the Vietnam veterans, and we discussed what more we could do, I had <clears throat> thought that maybe if we set aside a day for veterans who are seen in our justice system to address their underlying health care issues, whether it's substance, whether it's mental health, whether it's traumatic brain injury, then maybe that's something we should do. Well, Jack O'Connor <clears throat> sat on our hospital's VA uh, advisory board. He said, I'm going to invite you and see if I can get you an invitation to our next monthly meeting. Sure enough, he did. I attend the monthly meeting. It's chaired by the director of our VA hospital, Director Finnegan at that time. And the other members on the advisory board are all veterans who are active in the VA healthcare community. I indicated we were thinking about just setting aside a court date, a treatment court for veterans and whether they thought it was a good idea or a bad idea. I didn't know how it would be received. And around the room, all these vets raised their hand and said, we want to volunteer if you're serious about doing that. And so sure enough, that collective group, we would meet monthly. And then I asked the director of our VA hospital, would they allow a, an employee from the VA to physically come to the court and be in the courtroom with us as we engage veterans? and to get them linked for those that are not with VA healthcare to address their benefit issues and things of that sort. So the VA, very much so, from the beginning, indicated, and they did, send a federal employee to a local state court. I want to tell you, that is major. Major. <laughs> Would you send us one of your federal employees to come weekly to a local state court? And bless their heart, that is something that they agreed to do. And then as time went on, they created uh, a full-time position, which we now know as a Veterans Justice Outreach Worker, which is available in every VA hospital fil uh, facility in the continental U.S. and its territories to be able to service and assist veterans seen in the justice system. Uh, so uh, salute to uh, General uh, uh, Shinseki, who was the VA secretary that made it a full-time position, and I also am uh, grateful for Secretary Peek, uh, who is his predecessor, that first created a uh, FTE uh, part-time position, and then General Shinseki made it a full-time position. That's awesome. That's yes. great. Wonderful. So salute to the VA. 
All right. All right. Now, you've also said that another key element behind the success of Veterans Treatment Courts was really recognizing the culture and camaraderie of military service. You brought in veterans as counselors and peer mentors from the very beginning. Let's tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's when we look at that one individual who was in the uh, mental health treatment court and the response he got yeah. from meeting with two uh, uh, veterans and how that kind of stimulated something in him about, I want to try harder. Uh, some of our men and women who serve uh, really lose part of that camaraderie that they had during the course of their military service. So if we have an environment where the whole courtroom, uh, all the participants are veterans who served in the military, and then we have a cadre of men and women from the community that are veterans that serve as volunteer veteran mentors. Uh, General Butch Tate, who's now with the National Association Drug Corps Professional as an in-house legal counsel, when he came to first visit uh, our Veterans Treatment Court in Buffalo and Erie County, New York, after sitting and observing there, he said, you know, every fine recipe, when a fine dish, there is something contained in that dish that makes it so uh, wonderful and worthwhile. He said the secret sauce for Veterans Treatment Court is a volunteer veteran mentors. And I agree, yeah. that is the secret sauce. It yeah. is bringing together, tapping into that military culture, also indicating to our men and women that, that have served that it is okay to ask for help. Uh, we can move past that warrior mentality to say that as a collective group and a collective body, we will get through this together. And you will have the men and women who similarly serve, got your six, have your back, they're going to do what they can. They're going to be your battle buddy to help yep. you get through this journey and journey of sobriety and recovery in your life. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the secret sauce as well for regular drug treatment courts. I think that pure, you know, I could say the most eloquent, supportive things in the world, but at the end of the day, they know that I haven't experienced what they have experienced. So to have people in the courtroom who can say, I've been there, I, you know, this is, this is what got me through it. Or, you know, I, I, I hear you, what you're saying makes sense. Let me help you through it. All the rest of it. That is, that is really, really key. Yes. Yes. And, yeah. and extremely. And it's so rewarding to observe and be part of this journey and this process to see uh, men and women who've served in the military uh, regain uh, so much uh, as far as their life, that new direction. Because some come home and be like, what's my mission now? And to gain a new mission uh, in their life, to gain stability uh, in their life and to be in recovery, it's awesome. Yeah. Now, as uh, I mentioned earlier, Veterans Treatment Courts have now become an integral part of our court system across the country. Have you been surprised how quickly and widely they've spread? When you initially, uh, when initially we started this journey, of course, uh, we were looking to see how we could serve the men and women in our community 
in Erie County who served in the military that were going through the challenges of uh, uh, substance challenges with regards to mental health or other health-related issues. I had no inkling that somehow it would be embraced by many jurisdictions nationally, which I am thankful and grateful for that they could see the benefit of us as a society doing what we can to assist our men and women who served in the military that might be suffering and going through some challenges and providing that support to help them uh, with stability in their life. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you've spent much of your career working with people who have struggled with substance abuse issues. What have you learned about the way society deals with addiction and the problems that stem from it? What do you think we're doing wrong? What do you think we, we need to be doing? What could we be doing better? Any thoughts on that? It's, it's been a uh, learning process, I think, for us in society. Uh, when I think about the early days of, uh, of uh, how we as a society dealt with addiction, uh, one, it was before science helped us to get a greater understanding. It was, yeah. why don't you just stop? Uh, is it just behavior? And then we learned through uh, science that, no, it is a disease. It is a brain disease. So I think part of it is a continual process of getting a greater understanding on the nature of addiction, uh, the nature of uh, dependency. Also, us embracing as a society, treating it like other chronic diseases, just as for heart disease, just as uh, for disease with regards to uh, diabetes, things of that sort, that we provide the necessary treatment and medication in order to help people in their journey of uh, having stability and being able to effectively manage their disease or disorder. Uh, still, I think part of the uh, challenge as a society is getting past the stigma of addiction. So I yeah. think that is still present for us, dealing with the stigma of those that might be dependent on substances. Let's embrace it as we do other diseases, provide the form of, of treatment and necessary care and aftercare yeah. to help people in that journey. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember, you know, going to the my initial judges training where they actually show you, you know, when it, you, know, you know, that commercial, this is your brain on drugs, you know, but they but they don't they only show you the frying egg. They yeah. don't actually show you an MRI or a CAT scan of someone's brain who has been on drugs for a significant period of time. And you could actually physically see the change in the the, the form of of the brain, um, yes. you know, and, and to, you know, to understand that, to understand that many of the decisions that are being made by these individuals is not the person that the family knew, you know, it's, yeah. it's the person who has now has a brain that has physically and chemically changed. Yes. Um, and, and to understand that, you know, and be sympathetic to that uh, situation and, and try to, to work with that, um, yes. with a real understanding of the difficulty it is to make good decisions under those circumstances. 
Very yeah. much so. I, I think an important piece also to talk about is the public safety aspect. Mm-hmm. You know, some people don't believe in drug courts. Um, they think it's like, oh, you're a bleeding heart. You know, you just you, you're coddling these people. You're you know, you're you're a judge. You're not supposed to be soft. And and what I, I, I think it's important for people to understand is, is that this really is a public safety service. It yes. really is. Because again, as you and I both know, most people do not go to jail for exceptionally long periods of time. But if we don't address the underlying issue, the substance abuse underlying problem, right, then when he yeah. comes out, it's going to be the same public safety risk. So yeah. you want to talk about that, that public safety component of it? And not only public safety, but also the tremendous cost saving, yep. taxpayer mm-hmm. savings, when we consider what treatment court brings to bear. Uh, But having a treatment court, it's an understanding for the public uh, that a person will be in this treatment program, court-supervised treatment program, uh, typically a minimum of a year, but typically it's going to be two years or more. And uh, working with those of high need, risk, so forth, they're going to be seen in the beginning, probably weekly, and then eventually graduates to every other week and, and so forth. In addition, you're going to have probation involved. They're going to have frequent drug testing. It is recommended nationally, best evidence, at least twice a week they're going to be tested uh, for substances. It's going to be random. It's going to be observed testing. Uh, there is consequences for not compliance in the program. There's also incentives. So it's actually a best evidence practice on how to assist someone in this journey of reaching the point of recovery. And when I talk about recovery, I'm just not talking about momentary sobriety. I'm talking about someone who is now, who could have been homeless, preying on the community and the society, who is now in safe, stable housing. Uh, Also, it's an expectation in these programs that the unemployed is now going to be employed. When we first started our drug treatment court in in late 95, our county government, after a year or two, did a cost-benefit study of our program. And what they found was, doing our drug treatment court, we were saving the county over $10 million dollars in the span of several years. And how did they arrive at that? Because the people who were on uh, public assistance became employed and were no longer on public assistance. Taxpayers weren't paying for them. And they also found that those who had uh, child support payment that were in arrears, guess what? Ah, They could now start making. mm -hmm. They were starting to pay them back and catching up with all the arrears, which county government and taxpayers were paying for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and now I have these people clean, sober, in recovery, working, employed. Yeah. Guess what? They're not committing future crimes. Future crimes, yeah. They're productive citizens in our community. What more could we want as a society? People being restored, productive, contributing to society, society saving financially, 
And we have a reduction in crime. Yeah, love it. Love it. Well, Judge Russell, it has been a true honor and pleasure talking with you today. Thank you again for all the work you have done on behalf of Americans veterans, on behalf of all of us uh, treatment court judges that have learned so much from you and continue to learn so much from you. And thank you so much for joining us on Justice Today. And thank you for blessing me with the opportunity to join you today. Thank you. Justice Today is the official podcast of the Office of Justice Programs.